At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then, book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable to you want to talk to someone but not just anyone alma is there to help you find the right fit visit helloalma.com therapy 30 to schedule a free consultation today that's helloalma.com therapy 30 this week on the rise together podcast we welcome vanessa joy walker she is someone who loves to tell a story and is passionate about helping people with just about anything As a two-time cancer survivor, she is committed to telling the truth about crisis while helping others learn to make room for joy in their life and in their community, regardless of their circumstances. Adversity and life strategist, communicator, and joy seeker, she is someone who is an expert at bringing life's different seasons into perspective and inspiring others to achieve their highest calling every single day. Vanessa believes that to change the world, often all that's needed is a shift in perspective, a heavy dose of hope, and plenty of kindness. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Vanessa Joy Walker to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis. And I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. I am so excited today to have Vanessa Joy Walker on this podcast. I love the fact that Joy is her middle name because she is someone who has reached intentionally for it, irrespective of the conditions that she has found herself in. She's someone who loves to tell a story, is passionate about helping people with just about anything, and as a two-time cancer survivor, is committed to telling the truth about crisis in a way that maybe helps other people make room for joy in their lives and their communities, regardless of their circumstances. Man, we are all going through things. I feel like we all could use the insight of someone like this. Please welcome Vanessa to the podcast. Vanessa, hello. Welcome to the Rise Together podcast. Hello. It's good to be here. All Um, right. So I have given you an introduction, but I would prefer if, uh, if you would indulge us to give... Uh, an introduction yourself of your story for any of the folks at home who may not yet be familiar with who you are and what the heck you are on this planet to do. Yeah, thanks so much. And thanks for having me. Um, it's uh, I love these opportunities to connect with people, especially on Zoom, because it forces me to put lipstick on and concealer on. And so when <laughs> I get on the Zoom and I see myself, I'm like, Oh, I look really nice. And then, and then, you know, I go back to real life and yeah. Anyway, I will give you a shorter introduction. Um, What I like to tell people is I am not an expert at anything 
except for my own crisis. And my husband always laughs at that because he knows it's true. I like to think I'm an expert at a lot of things, but um, really I'm an expert at my own journey, just like everyone else is an expert at their own journey. And my journey has included a lot of grief, a lot of loss, a lot of suffering, some unique uh, experiences, but I'm still here. And so often, uh, you know, you're often asked like, why, why is it that people should listen to you? And my answer always is, well, I'm still here. You know, you don't have to listen to me, but I'm still here. So um, if you want to know why I'm still here, I am happy to tell you. And uh, perhaps it might help you. I grew up in Canada. I still feel very Canadian, even though I've been here for more years than I'd like to say, because then I'll really be telling everyone my age. But I've been here since I was uh, pretty young. I came here to go to college. And my mother said to me, the second she dropped me off, she said, I know you're never coming home. You're going to be a Yankee now. We've lost you forever. And she was right. So I, uh, I've been here since I was 18 years old. And I actually, a retired opera singer, I like to say retired as opposed to washed up or not successful. Retired. <laughs> I chose to retire from a career that was not making me any money. But I really do love singing and I have the pleasure of continuing to sing um, in some gospel choirs and, uh, and that really brings me a lot of joy. It's an artistic outlet. But helping people is in my DNA. I'm adopted. I was adopted when I was a baby. You know, that has played a big part in who I am. I didn't realize it played a big part in t in, into who I am until I went to therapy in my 30s, but it really has shaped who I am and how I see the world. And, um, and that's just one part of my journey. You know, you mentioned the cancer and I've been through a messy divorce and surrogacy and infertility and blah, 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 blah. But ultimately, the things that I've experienced are the things that other people have experienced. And that's betrayal and fear and grief and um, disappointment. And what I have found in my life is that uh, joy, it is the lifeboat in the middle of the storm. You know, what's interesting is, I mean, the, the point of this podcast, more than anything, is to afford people an opportunity to see some of themselves in the storytelling of the people that we bring into this conversation. And in the experiences that you've had, every single person who's listening has, of course, experienced grief, has likely experienced betrayal, has, you know, found themselves inside of something that has headwinds in one way or another presenting themselves in you know likely unexpected ways and the decision to reach for joy uh to choose joy is something that uh has been a part of the dna of the company that i work inside of i have a shirt that says we choose joy in the midst of my own processing transition that i would not have necessarily chosen myself uh, looking for joy looking for gratitude finding the good in the day is something that has uh, become this intentional pursuit, irrespective of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And if you choose that, if you go on the hunt for it, I've found that the evidence of it existing absolutely presents itself throughout the day. So I love that and I'm excited to talk to you. So one of the things that I love about the content that you're writing and posting and sharing is that you encourage people who are in the midst of struggle to find an opportunity to share it instead of keeping it hidden 
because someone else is having a very similar struggle. And I will say, um, in having written books or doing the work that I do online, I find so much healing in a way that I would never have expected in talking honestly about the stuff that I'm going through because of the way that it actually connects me to the humanity of everyone else who's inevitably also struggling. Can you talk just a little bit more about this philosophy of yours and why it's so important for people to share the struggle that they find themselves going through? Yeah, you know, it is, I know from my own experiences that when I was at the worst, in the worst uh, times of my life, when people met me there, that was the most rewarding thing. When people decided to step into the pain instead of initially trying to just pull me out of it, that's what I actually needed. And part of stepping into the pain with someone is being able to share transparently the things that connect us. And the things that connect us are not necessarily the details of our story, the details of our journey. You're, listen, your life is different than my life. You're, I don't know if you're adopted. I don't think you grew up in Canada. But, but if we were to start to talk about grief and our stories transparently, I'm sure we'd have a lot in common there. And that's so rewarding because all of a sudden we feel like we belong right? Because everyone's looking for belonging. And there is nothing inspirational about a life without pain or complication. Easy is overrated, right? I mean, complicated is beautiful and it is much easier to maintain than perfectly quaffed. <laughs> so um, I would much rather see someone's complicated life and see them living within that complicated life because it reminds me, oh, I can live too. Like I might have cancer right now, but I can still live. My, how I live might uh, be different than how someone else is living, but I can still live. I can still enjoy this very moment. We've been conditioned somehow to not be transparent with our stories. And I don't know, I mean, you, have a much larger and wider um, audience than I do. And, and I'm sure that you can speak directly to this, but it's like we are constantly filtering ourselves for the pleasure and the acceptance of others, right? And yeah. we talk about not being filtered, but the more we talk about not being filtered, the more filtered we are. We actually have got to the place where even we even romanticize our crises, right? Like we want to talk about the difficult times in this very like beautiful beginning, middle and end moment where it's all packaged nicely. Suffering does not get tied up. Suffering does not get packaged. There is nothing neat and tidy about a cancer journey, a divorce, a betrayal, a job loss, a coronavirus, right? Like there's nothing neat and tidy about it. So like let your hair hang out a little if you have some. What's interesting for me is I have noticed 100% that especially inside of the times that we are living in, there is a feeling of aloneness or loneliness that tends to exist inside of the suffering until you find a willingness to represent the struggle that you are going through. And in having represented it, 
are able to almost immediately connect to other people who can identify with the same thing that you are experiencing in their own journey in a way that changes the way that you feel so alone. And in representing the things that you're struggling with, you may in fact be afforded an opportunity now to connect with someone who is a little further along their journey of healing that in that healing journey maybe has a tip or a trick or a thing that worked for them to help them make progress in a nonlinear you know, grief journey or whatever it might end up being. That maybe because of your willingness to own the struggle that you're experiencing now gives you this opportunity to also heal a little bit faster than you may have if you were having to suffer alone. And uh, in a way that feels a little bit counterintuitive, I will say this, in owning the things that I've struggled with, the thing that happened in the darkness when I wasn't sharing the struggle is that I would sit feeling alone with shame. I would sit feeling alone with, uh, with something that was then being stacked on top of it. And in being honest about the things that I've had to work through, I was able to change the narrative and take control of and create power from my ability to persevere through the struggle in a way that eliminated the shame and eliminated the, lone, the aloneness that allowed me to continue to make steps forward, even if the conditions weren't conditions that I necessarily was interested in having to persevere through. So there's just something so powerful in being comfortable to acknowledge your struggle, connect to the humanity of struggle just being something that happens to all of us, and to feel less alone, less shameful, more comfortable, more powerful in having taken control of our story. I am, I'm here for it. Yeah, I love, I, I love that you mentioned and highlighted that idea of shame because we are all trying to be so positive these days, right? And, and I shouldn't say we all, many people are. Many people are trying to be a positive voice and that's great, but there is that term that's floating around that toxic positivity right which is a real thing because no one is no one is up here all the time right i mean i don't even think mother teresa was probably up here all the time right because to understand suffering you have to suffer to understand pain you have to go through pain and when you do that you have the ability to recognize pain and suffering in other people, right? Your pain and suffering equips you to be a better human being, to acknowledge someone else's pain. It's just like you were talking about empathy. And so when we get stuck in our own head, in our own zone, we're like, oh my gosh, I'm really suffering and I'm feeling really dark right now, but I've got to, I got to show up and pretend that I'm not because I'm, like I'm supposed to be joyful and I'm supposed to be positive and I'm supposed to encourage people. And then, so you go and you do that and then you go back to your hole and then you feel guilty because you feel like you were lying to everyone. Like you weren't being real. Well, no, like there's a difference between being authentic and genuine, right? Like sometimes you got to show up and do your job. If your job is to encourage people, like I'm not going to get onto a client call and they're telling me about what they're going through. I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm having a really rough day too. No, I'm going to listen actively to them and help them. That's genuine. We don't always have to be 100% authentic, right? I mean, we can put that aside a little. But I really appreciate you mentioning shame to bring it back to that because 
we have to rid ourselves of that. And we can rid ourselves of that. I don't really like to have to people or should on people, but you know, we, we can rid ourselves on that. We have a choice to do that. And uh, if we all chose that on a more regular basis, we would give each other permission to show up. Yeah. In a different well, what's way. interesting is I think, yeah, I, I think there's some strange condition in humanity that has us feeling uh, indicted almost for being less if we have struggle. And so the, the ability for anybody who's listening to just recognize that struggle is a reflection of your humanity and not a reflection of you being less worthy or less enough or less good. It is just a universal condition. And if you are looking around on the internet at the hyper curated feed of somebody who looks like they are not struggling themselves, you're believing a lie because that person, even if they are perpetrating that things are always great, thank you very much in toxic positivity kind of way, uh, trust that behind the scenes, they also in their humanity are struggling just like you are. Speaking of, let's, let's talk about comparison just for a second, because I think it's interesting that you've talked a little bit about experiences where your suffering was compared to how other people maybe were going through similar things. I know you've talked specifically about having been compared to Angelina Jolie and how yeah. she going through cancer and you going through cancer. Like, talk a little bit about, you know, everyone is on their individual journey of suffering, and this is not a competition to see who is mm -hmm. suffering more. Um, but tell, talk to me just a little bit about the, the, the dangerous trap of comparison when it comes to how we struggle. Yeah, I mean, I think it's twofold. So as someone who is struggling, we can compare ourselves to others, and we can see, we can feel like we're not struggling correctly right? Like I must be doing something wrong. There must be something wrong with my faith. There must be something wrong with, you know, my friendships. There must be something wrong with my marriage. There must be something wrong internally with me because I don't seem to be able to suffer in the same way as she does, he does, they do, whatever, you know? So that's one side. The other side is how we as a community like to compare people's suffering to other suffering that feels more comfortable to us because we want to connect with people and sometimes we don't know what to say. So instead of saying, you know what, that really sucks. Man, you have cancer? I have absolutely no idea what to say. That is, what would you like me to say right now? Instead of saying that, people say, oh, well, well, that's just like Angelina Jolie, right? Well, well, you know, I heard that she has this great doctor and, you know, she seems to be doing really well. Like what doctor, what doctor are you going to? And, and, you know, like they start asking these questions because they're uncomfortable, right? So we ourselves as a community are uncomfortable with crisis. We're uncomfortable with things that we don't understand, right? And that's because I feel like we're conditioned a little bit like we're supposed to understand everything these days because we can Google everything. But I am never going to understand Angelina Jolie's story. Her, and her story is hers. You know, when I talk in, in my book about her story, I say like the op-ed she wrote in the New York Times was a very personal account of 
her journey and her family's journey with hereditary cancer. And it's horrible. And it's not my story. It's different. And I think the media in likes to use celebrity because their voices are um, amplified to be the spokespeople for uh, the regular folk, right? And the truth is, is that regular people experience crisis differently than people who are in a different socioeconomic status, right? That's just true. So when it comes to comparison there, you know, I think that there's an opportunity, again, for us to be transparent and also for to give people like celebrities, like Angelina Jolie, like whomever, an opportunity to also share the messiest parts of their journey. Not to do a three-minute clip on the, you know, I don't want to call out any show, but on a morning television show, right, where they condense her trial into this little tiny package, right? And I understand we got to condense things for morning television, but ultimately let her show some of the mess, right? Like I want to, I want to know that, that when she was getting divorced and she had, you know, just had her ovaries removed and now she's in menopause and I'm in early menopause too. And it is not fun. Let me tell you, okay. There's nothing fun about it. So I want to know, like, yeah, like, man, I was, it was rough. I felt like a failure. I, I felt like a failure. Listen, I felt like a failure when I, when I got divorced. That's normal, right? Yeah. That's yeah. normal. So we have to give ourselves a break and we have to give other people a break too, right? It's okay if we don't understand someone's experience. Showing up and just listening is often what people really need and what people are looking for. We're looking for connection. Well, you mentioned your book. One of the quotes that I saw you post on Instagram from the book and just loved was uh, a quote, realizing that joy could exist even though I wasn't finding things to be happy about was the lifeline I needed to survive, Mm -hmm. which is just so great, right? I'm sure that there are a lot of people that are listening right now that are in a place where very similarly, they feel like they can't find things to be happy about. Talk to me just a little bit about this experience with your having also very intentionally decided to choose joy, even when you don't feel like it, or even when you um, don't necessarily want to choose it, but have just decided that, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. You know, I grew, I grew up thinking that joy and uh, happiness were very similar. And it wasn't until I came face-to-face with multiple crises at the same time that I realized that happiness and joy were not similar. And I found that out because I I looked around one day, uh, I was going through chemotherapy. My ex-husband had just left me for the second time and my career was in the toilet. And I was like, dude, there is nothing to be happy about right now, right? Like there is nothing to live for right now. I seriously wanted to die. And it's not even that I, I wanted to take my own life, um, although I, there were moments in my life that I, I was there. But at this moment, it was more like, man, there's nothing to be happy about. And I don't necessarily think there's going to be anything to ha- be happy about anytime soon. 
So if I'm going to survive and if I'm going to thrive and do something with what's going on right now, I'm going to have to figure something else out. And it was right around that time that I picked up this book by Henry Nowen. Um, I highly suggest his books. He's an amazing, amazing author, incredible story. But I picked up this book by him. He was a, a Catholic priest, actually, uh, who was a great teacher and lecturer who gave up his career to go and take care of people who were mentally disabled in Canada. I mean, it's just like crazy that he did this. So he wrote this book and he talked about the difference between joy and happiness. And he talked about choosing joy. And he talked about joy existing in the middle of the most difficult times. And it was a turning point for me because what I realized is that I had two options in life. I could either choose hope or I could remain hopeless. And no matter what I chose, my circumstances were going to stay pretty similar, right? My ex-husband had left me and I had cancer and I was going through chemo. That's just like, that's, those are just the circumstances. But if I chose hope, the way I lived in the middle of those circumstances would change. The way I interacted with those circumstances, the way I interacted with that suffering would change. So that's when this whole journey began for me, this idea of choosing hope and looking for joy and experiencing joy. And what I realized is that happiness has an expiration date, right? I mean, happiness has an ending. It's something that happens to us. It's external stimuli. It's, I mean, I say it all the time. I love hamburgers. Hamburgers are my favorite thing. I would eat them every day, all day if I could with bacon and extra mayonnaise. And I would have poutine. If you don't know what that is, it's a Canadian thing. I'm Canadian. And that makes me really happy. But at some point, the hamburger, you know, it, I'm done with it, right? And so then the happiness ends. So joy is different because joy doesn't have an expiration date. Joy is something that is not just for you, but it's ultimately for everyone. Joy is something that the more you have, the more you choose it, the more you're filled up with it. The more you give it away, the more you have. It, it's, it's this strange thing. I call it a knowing. You know, people say, well, describe to me what joy is. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I think it's like a knowing. It's, it's joy. It, and it changes. It's organic. It's living. It's different every day. Sometimes it's loud. Sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes it's that moment of peace that is woven into the fabric of suffering. We are collectively, as listeners of this podcast, experiencing crisis. Uh, maybe not on the scale of cancer, maybe not on the scale of betrayal, but we are collectively in a season of grief for a life that used to exist and the conditions that we find ourselves in because of this pandemic. This pursuit of joy is as important now as it is ever, no matter what people are going through. Are there any things in particular that you would give as advice to people who find themselves in the midst of struggle, in the midst of processing grief, in the midst of being confined, that could be applied inside of this pandemic, inside of this quarantine that would maybe afford them an opportunity to make this shift to the active pursuit of joy in a way that maybe allows them to 
be more filled by this knowing and in being more filled, be someone who can also spread it as much as uh, anything else. Yeah, I love that question. And um, in the book, I actually write at the end of every chapter, I have this section called Make It Personal. Because um, as we share our stories, ultimately, we want to make it personal, right? We want to make it about us and our how we can change so that we can then change the world. You're right. I mean, right now, it is crazy out there. I mean, part of me is happy that I'm confined right now. Like I want to just stay here in my little place, you know, with my coffee and my dog. <laughs> but, you know, it's crazy between the coronavirus and just the amount of death that that has brought on the fear, the loss of jobs. And then you add into that this, um, the uh, racial uh, tension, I don't want to call it tension, but the injustice that's going on. I mean, the murders that have happened that, that has been going on for many, many years, but that has has hit a level during this time when we're getting ready for another election and people are, I mean, people are at a heightened level of anxiety. You know, I, I saw the other day, uh, someone posted something about, they said, if you do not have a, um, an anxiety disorder, just wait, they're giving them out for free right now. So yours will be assigned, you know, because it's true. We are all experiencing some level of grief. What we once knew is not what will be. We do not understand this. We don't understand what's going to happen tomorrow. If, and if, if, if there's anything that this moment in time has taught us, it's that crisis happens, right? And so one of the things I remind myself of all the time is that I have to prepare for crisis. Now that sounds, some people might say that sounds a little pessimistic. That sounds like a little glass half empty. No, I actually think preparing for crisis is one of the most optimistic things you can do. And I believe that because if you're preparing for it, that means you know that you have access to the tools and the training that will get you through it, right? So if we can acknowledge, listen, it might suck for a while. Some bad things might happen, right? Things are going on in this world that we do not have any control over, but we do what we do have control over is how we interact with them, how we show up every day. So when I get up every day, I try to see every moment as a destination, right? I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow, but today has enough worries of its own. So if every moment is a destination, if all I'm doing today is sitting at this computer and doing my work, well, how is it that I am going to choose hope experience gratitude, create space for peace, and really be present, right? How am I going to do that? So one of the things that I do is I do this thing called practice the pause. And I, I don't like to tell people how to do that because everyone has their own way. Some people pray, some people meditate. My husband loves to work out. I love to watch my husband work out and pretend I'm working out. I know you're really into that. And I like to think I'm really into that, but I'm not. 
I want to be though. So maybe we can do that. Maybe that'd be podcast part two. I need to get in shape, but practice the pause. Part of practicing the pause is literally just that. It's not extra. It's not complicated. Push the pause button. Like you're going to, you know, take a break from Netflix. You're going to get a drink. You're going to the bathroom. Push pause. Take a moment and figure out, okay, what's going on right now? What am I filled up with right now? What am I filled up with? Am I filled up with fear? Am I filled up with anxiety? Am I filled up with bitterness? Am I filled up with anger? Because let me tell you, if you try to add joy to the top of that, it's just going to fall right out. Doesn't mean you're not going to experience it. It's just going to, it's going to fall out. So part of the process of filling yourself up with joy is to dig deep into the pain, dig deep into the fear, dig deep into the betrayal, dig deep into that, get real with it so you can get rid of it. And then you start to fill yourself up with joy. And all of a sudden, the joy then becomes the bottom of the cup. So yeah, fear comes in there, but fear is going to fall out and joy is going to stay in. So good. I love it. I think one of the things that's been such a like interesting recognition inside of these times is the illusion that we had of control being a oh. thing that we actually <laughs> possess and the recognition now of how little we've ever actually controlled. I'm sorry, wait, 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 it, wait, wait. Are you telling me that I don't have control? I know. I hate to break it to you and any of the listeners, but in fact, we have no control. But the thing that I think I've come to appreciate is um, so much of the anxiety that exists, so much of the fear that exists, so much of the worry and overwhelm that exists is about things that could happen in the future that, by the way, hopefully we're starting to appreciate we have no control over. And we have control over a single thing, and that is how we choose to show up for ourselves and the people we love today. And so... The more that we can take the gift of the experience of this slowdown of these conditions that we wouldn't have opted for and appreciate that we can control that. We can control how we show up today. I love the idea of filling yourself with a foundation that is built on joy or gratitude or peace or something like that so that no matter what else ends up trying to come on inside is landing on top of something that is more solid that will afford you an opportunity to persevere through it. Uh, It's part of, not that I want to tell you that you got to move your body, but you need to move your body. Part of why I'm moving my body on an everyday basis, I I do it because as a foundation that affords me some peace, as a foundation that helps change my mind, it's something that now as the anxiety jumps in, as the overwhelm jumps in, as the headwinds, whatever they might be, come in, I've fortified myself in a way at the beginning of my day with a routine that also includes a gratitude practice that also includes a spiritual practice that also includes some writing. Like I'm trying to do things in the beginning of my day that just set up a foundation that no matter what ends up showing up, I am in control of how I've started that day so that I can weather the storm because the storm ends up inevitably showing up on an almost everyday basis. Yeah. I want to talk about your book for a second. You wrote a book. It's called make room for joy. Uh, Would you tell people just a little bit about the content, what inspired you to write it, the struggles of taking it from concept to real thing? As a person who's recently (laughs) written a book, I know it's a lot of work. Uh, Talk about Make Room for Joy. 
Um, well, thank you. Yes. Make room for joy. I tell people now, you know, listen, if you are thinking about writing a book, think again, <laughs> Go, pray more, <laughs> ask someone else, wait for someone to tell you, don't do it. <laughs> no. Yeah. It was a lot, it, you know, it was a lot to write that book. Whew. And yet it was so rewarding. People have been telling me I should write a book for a really long time. And every time someone would say that, I would say, you write a book. I don't want to write a book. <laughs> But it came to the place where I really, it was really a very spiritual thing for me. One day, God really woke me up in the middle of the night and said, I need you to tell your story. You know, you help other people create a place for their stories to, uh, to be heard. Um, but I need you to tell your story. And I was like, oh, but I want someone else to tell it. No, I need you to tell it. And I was afraid to write. Um, I did a lot of writing for myself, but never publicly. I didn't ever put it out anywhere. And so someone said, oh, you should get on Instagram. You know, you just write there. And, you know, you don't have any friends. So like no one will read it. I was like, oh, this is perfect. So I started just writing on Instagram and they're right. Like, I don't have any friends. So who cares? And I just, as you said, like you had this morning practice, like it became a ritual. I was like, well, I'm just going to write every day. And as I began to do that, you know, things started kind of really pouring out of me and things that I thought I had worked through, things about my adoption, things about my divorce, things about just really having a career that didn't go anywhere in the music world. Like all of these things started pouring out of me in a different kind of way. And what I realized that there were these concepts that started popping up like this concept of grief and this concept of, of uh, um, hope and this concept of, you know, the complicated is beautiful and all of these things. And really the book kind of in that sense wrote itself, like at least what the book was going to be about. I have always been someone who talks a lot about joy. And yes, my middle name is Joy. And so that was easy for me. Uh, the hard part was actually locking myself away in a room and writing and getting deep into those that place. And it's interesting because as I was writing this book about joy, my anxiety level was like going up and up and up and I was being miserable and mean. And, and I said to my therapist one day, I was like, what is wrong with me? She's like, well, just like you talk about in your book, getting real about suffering, that's what you're doing right now. Like the only way for you to write this in from an authentic place is to go back to that place. And, um, and so that's what I did. And so that was the process. So when people tell me, it's a lot like therapy, oh my I gosh. Mean, like, you know, it's a lot like therapy in a, just a different form. hundred percent. You know, like writing, writing my first book was excruciating oh, in that so I was trying to be that. so honest and no, honest and vulnerable and open, but in going back to and visiting all of these things that I'd carried shame for or that I wasn't necessarily proud of, even though it was like meant in the sharing to teach a lesson and how uh, I was able to persevere through something I hadn't been proud of, I was still processing the feelings of shame and anything else. Yeah. And that is hard oh, work. Hard. So, so the book, good work, good yeah, work on writing thank a book. You. So, so, you know, the, and the book was, the one thing is, as I said, you know, I don't want to just write, I don't want to just write a memoir. Like, first of all, no one knows who I am. No one wants to read my memoir. Second of all, like, what, what is my story? My story is just one of many, 
right? It's just a bunch of a bunch of details and circumstances strung together. I want my story to help people see their story differently. So if I can write a book that does that, then I want to write a book. And so that was the goal. And that's why when I started writing, I was like, there's got to be a way that people make this personal because sometimes people hear my journey and they're like, Oh man, she's been through so much. It's like, she's got like, she's like Job in the Bible, you know? And, and I'm like, yeah, but it's all relative, right? It doesn't matter if, if you've had cancer twice or you're experiencing a disappointment, you know, at your job that can feel very similar, right? I mean, the feelings are the feelings. And so I was like, how can I, get people to shift their perspective on crisis? How can I get people to think differently about hope? How can I get people to take a moment to evaluate what they believe in? Because one of the things I, I just really live by is that everyone believes in something. When someone tells me, well, I don't believe in anything, I say, "Mm, you believe in something. You may not believe in the God that I believe in, but you believe in something. You believe in money. You believe in hard work. You believe in, you believe in something. We all, we're all here because we believe in something. We survive because we have hope in something. So I want people to think about what do I believe in? What's, what's working for me and what isn't working for me? And realize that they have a choice. If something's not working for you, you have a choice. Change it. Yeah. Change it. And so yeah. this book, I hope, will inspire people to do that. Yes, you're going to learn a lot about me, more than you ever want to know, a lot about other people too, where, man, I'm going to be honest with you, my ex-husband, him and I have, have gotten back in, in touch with each other, and he said, dude, I, I can't tell anyone about this book. No one's going to, everyone's, no one's going to want to be my friend anymore. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> but the truth is, is that, you know, this is what we need to do. And I want to inspire other people to tell their story. Maybe you're not going to write a book. Maybe you're going to tell it to your coworker. Maybe you're going to tell it to the person sitting next to you on the bus. Um, but be open to the opportunities and the possibilities that are embedded in every single problem. All right, last question. I wanna leave every episode with a tangible piece of advice, a single takeaway that listeners could implement into their lives in real time, starting today. So if the folks at home could get one thing from this conversation, one thing from you that they could do right now as they are inside of quarantine, as they are living their lives that have a little more headwinds than maybe they are traditionally accustomed to, what would that single piece of advice be? That single piece of advice would be figure out how you can be generous with your joy every single day, even if you don't feel like you have it yourself. Think about giving it away before you think about getting it. And I promise you, the moment you do that, you will have more of it. I love that advice, so good. Ladies and gentlemen, Vanessa Joy Walker, what a nice conversation. I appreciate you. I love the idea of intentionally pursuing joy. If human beings listening to this are interested in 
getting to know about you or your work, want to follow you on social media, where can they do that? Uh, Vanessa Joy Walker. That's it. VanessaJoyWalker.com. Vanessa Joy Walker on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty accessible. So we will put the links to your uh, details inside of the show notes of this episode. Great. And uh, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here today. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen who are listening to this podcast, if you like this and how could you have not, I hope that you will take a picture of this thing that you are listening to on the device that you're listening. Tag the both of us. Let us know what you thought of it. Share it with a friend. And until next time, I hope that you are able to find joy in the thousand small things that happen every single day. We'll see you next time on another episode of Rise Together. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.